Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Jay. Hello. Welcome back. Today's topic, Spider-Man, also known as Spider-Man the Animated Series. This is your warning, we will be talking spoilers. Yes, we will. I grew up with this show. So did I. This was, along with the X-Men animated series from the same period and the Batman animated series, this is what I rushed. This is what I was late getting to school for in the mornings. Saturday mornings for me, so maybe Sunday as well, but I distinctly remember Saturday mornings. Loving it, like Batman Animated Series, as you say, X-Men, and just watching all these shows. But Spider-Man was always up there. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, and I think from the shows at the time, which had very strong comic uh, storylines adapted, X-Men was the most popular. Batman was probably the best put together because of the talent behind the scenes. But Spider-Man was always the one I was into the most probably because i was a spider-man fan but also just the emotion of the character always carried me through and i think you've always got that relatable character in spider-man where if you're watching x-men characters come and go you've not always got that constant yeah but spider-man yeah this show there's been many spider-man shows since this one and i'll run through them in a moment but this is still still my favorite and as always, whenever we're doing a podcast, whether it's movies or TV, we will go back and rewatch what we're about to talk about. Yeah. I was watching Saturday morning in bed. My wife had got up early with the kids and she came into the bedroom to find me, her 35-year-old husband, <laughs> watching Spider-Man in bed on a Saturday morning. <laughs> it's the best time to watch it. Yeah, yeah I was bashing through as many of the episodes as possible. I did all of the episodes in sequence in my room, on my computer, um, just over the course of a week. And that's 65 episodes across five seasons. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of episodes. Spider-Man, if you're unfamiliar, we always like to talk about the first appearance of a character. We we all know Spider-Man, so we don't need to spend too long on this. It was a character created by writer-editor Stan Lee and artist Steve Ditko. He first appeared in The Amazing Fantasy issue 15, which was an anthology book. Yeah, and there was only like four or five pages in his first appearance as well, but it was his entire origin from being the nerd at school, to being bitten by the radioactive spider, to doing the wrestling to having Uncle Ben killed and deciding, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. All in his first appearance. Done and dusted. Yeah. In an anthology book. So what Sam Raimi did in a two-hour movie with Tobey Maguire? Four pages. Yeah. Lee and Ditko had the character deal with struggles and adolescence and financial issues and accompanied him with many supporting characters such as JJ, Harry Osborn, Max Modell, he had romantic interests in Gwen Stacy, Mary Jane Watson, and foes such as Doctor Octopus, Green Goblin, and Venom. Yeah, he's a uh, he's Marvel's Batman in terms of rogues gallery. Batman has the best gallery of villains, the most diverse, and for Marvel, that's Spider Man. He has 
countless villains. Honestly, I have always said that exact same thing. DC, Batman, best villains, Marvel, Spider-Man, by far. I mean, you could just reel them off. And that really adds to this show as well, because if this character has been in the comics, there's a good chance they're putting it on screen. Yeah, and they go pretty deep with some of these as well. Um, I mean, and in the comics recently, uh, over the last 10 years or so, same with Batman, the villains don't aren't just tied to their their protagonist character anymore they appear in everyone else's comic books and spider-man's no exception and you know they also mean that like spider-man and batman fight other heroes villains but they were all built on those original antagonists and like for the majority of spider-man's villains they all appeared in like the first 30 issues almost all of them fully formed as well yeah because of this cartoon, though, I grew up thinking that Kingpin was a Spider-Man villain. Not the case. No. He is actually a Daredevil villain. Yeah, he just happens because he's the Kingpin of crime in New York. Completely works. Everyone works out of New York. Yeah, it makes sense, for especially Spider-Man, because he's so in the public eye that Kingpin would have a, a particular problem with him. My favourite character has always been Superman. And growing up watching this show, I could see a lot of Lex Luthor in Kingpin. So I got a lot of enjoyment out of that, even though it's not DC. I'm clearly watching a Marvel show. Spider-Man, his origin story, interestingly, you don't get it played out in the first episode. And they kind of go back to it a couple of times. Like the scene where Spider-Man is a wrestler and he lets the guy go that is going to later kill his Uncle Ben. That appears in an episode with the Punisher. Yeah. Which was season two. Yeah. And apparently when making the show, they were asked not to do the origin again, not to have a high school Peter Parker. And this one is older, is in college. And it's around the time that James Cameron was in talks for directing a Spider-Man movie. It's why we're first introduced to Hobgoblin because Green Goblin was going to be in Cameron's movie. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of there's a lot of changes in terms of some of the characters uh for the sake of the cartoon. Uh even though they mention a lot the Avengers ex exist, the X-Men exist and you get plenty of cameos from certain characters of those ilk. Uh one of the people who doesn't seem to exist which you get in one of the later seasons is Captain America. He has existed, but doesn't exist currently. But they make a point of saying that it was a secret, that people didn't know or had forgotten. Yeah. Um, and there's very 90s alterations, but some of them work. Like, when we get around to it, Black Cat, and especially in the comics, she doesn't actually have any powers. She initially had used to set up elaborate heists to make it look like she had bad luck powers and eventually she got bad luck powers which has been kind of undone now but, but she still has that doesn't she in the comics bad luck she powers? might have i think she still has that um but the alteration they make to her in this cartoon really works for me yeah i i love the portrayal of her in this yeah it's really smart we don't need to talk about spider-man's abilities really we know it can cling to things He's got his web shooters. But what I do want to 
say is that when he detects danger in this series and his spider sense goes off, visually and the sound effect, I love it. Yeah. It's my favourite interpretation of spider sense. Yeah, it's it's it takes up the whole screen. It has a very specific sound effect and you instantly know, oh, and he doesn't always get out of the way as well. He senses it, but sometimes he'd be like, oh, what's that? Bang. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, he doesn't always react in time. Okay, uh, so before this series, which ran from 94 to 98, the first animated Spider-Man show came out in 1967, which is relatively close to when the character first appeared. Yeah. And that ran for three years. In 1981, this is... The Spider-Man animated series that not a lot of people either remember or refer to. Doctor Doom was given a reoccurring role following the success of Star Wars and the resemblance of Darth Vader. So where we get Kingpin in the 94 series, they very much put Doom up front. But this series got overshadowed because in that same year, we got Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yeah. That's the one that I watched as a kid, before the 94 series. Yeah, my friend had all those on VHS. Oh, that was a great series. In that one, Spider-Man teams up with Iceman and Newcomer Firestar to battle both new and familiar enemies. The heroes, civilian alter egos, Peter Parker, Bobby Jones and Angelica Jones are students at Empire State University who decide to permanently team up as the super friends to battle supervillains. Or should I say, amazing friends? Yeah, not super, super friends. friends was it, uh, amazing friends. A different cartoon. The team lives together in the home of Peter's Aunt May, along with a pet dog, Miss Lion. <laughs> <laughs> Bobby Jones is now that okay? Maybe it was Bobby Jones, Iceman in that series, but it's Bobby Drake, isn't it? Yeah, it is Bobby Drake. Maybe they changed it. Yeah, which is some of the strange things they uh, they do, like. Uh, Bruce Banner, the Incredible Hulk, was famously called Robert Banner for the 70s live-action TV show. Oh, wasn't it David? David David Bruce Bruce Banner, Banner, yeah, because Stanley had forgotten the name of his own character. Oh, is that really why? No. (laughs) Yeah. Surely. Yeah, and then they had to... Could you not have checked somebody? (laughs) ...somewhere in the comics that, yeah, it was like like a middle name or something. In 94, obviously, we've got the show that we're here to talk about. Until 2012's Ultimate Spider-Man, it was the longest-running Spider-Man animated series. Yeah. Can you remember Spider-Man Unlimited? It came out in 1999. I did watch it. That was the one where he basically had the 2099 costume and he went to an alternate Earth full of uh, animal people. (laughs) Yes, counter-Earth. And his costume was like nanobots that formed the uh, the costume, so he would retract into a wristwatch. And I remember you don't see him, but it's mentioned that Reed Richards created the suit for him. Yeah. I was disappointed then. I've not gone back to it since, but I've always been disappointed with that show. Maybe if I watched it again now, I'd like it. But back then, maybe it's because it, it followed my favourite Spider-Man animated series. But I just never liked that show. Yeah, it was it was a hard pill to swallow after we didn't after the current one ended and that started and the animation style was a lot different as well. Um, but yeah, I 
I stuck with it for a while and just eventually just fell off like I think everyone did. It was only short. It was just one season. Cancelled. Yeah. In 2003, we got Spider-Man, the new animated series, Neil Patrick Harris as Spider-Man. Oh, this was the CGI. The CGI one that aired on MTV. Yeah. That was their show. And interesting casting. They went to... I think Rob Zombie voiced Electro. <laughs> they had some really weird casting in this one. Um, they actually got Michael Clark Duncan to reprise his role as Kingpin, which I remember at the time thinking, oh, well, that's that's cool. Obviously, he was Kingpin in the 2003 live-action Daredevil movie. Yeah, I remember Neil Patrick Harris's voice suiting the character. Well, but... he's all, he's all, even now, he's got that young-sounding voice, hasn't he? Yeah, the problem with that was CGI at the time, especially on a TV budget, just was not up to the challenge. And I remember thinking it was fine, but I think when they were in costume, it worked better than when they were just in their civilian identities because like, the faces had like a weird matte shine or like a weird yeah. glow. It didn't yeah. quite work for and me. And the, the character movements were stiff. And that ran for just 13 episodes. Spectacular Spider-Man. I have never seen this one. But I hear good things, and I believe the the concept artist on this show was, is it Sean Calloway? Yeah. This one I'm currently watching with my housemate because it's his favourite Spider-Man show. And this is the one that is inspired by both the early Ditko and Romita, is it Senior or Junior? Senior. But it's based on their early Amazing Spider-Man stories. Yeah, Um. and so his love interest in this, yeah, he's still in college. Is he in college? Or is he high school? No, they're in high school. But they're doing like an internship at the college uh, lab where Dr. Kurt Connors is, which coincidentally that's where all the villains seem to come out of. Um, like, stop working that lab, guys. <laughs> but would you recommend it, though? It's good. The uh, The quality of the... The resolution quality is better than what I had whilst rewatching the '90s Spider-Man cartoon. Um, the voice acting's good. The theme song is super catchy. Does JB Hi-Fi have the first two seasons on DVD? Yeah, seven dollars. And I yeah. keep seeing, oh, that is so cheap. But what's putting me off is it looks very kiddie. Yeah, because I think it is only two seasons. Uh, oh, really? Oh, then I will have to yeah. pick them both up. Yeah, it's very much in the Warner Brothers style of animation oh, as well. If it's just two seasons, I will get it. I, th I thought I'd be waiting on additional seasons. Okay, cool. I'll, yeah. I'll check that one out. I've never seen a single episode. I've not even seen a TV spot, a trailer, nothing. Yeah, um, and it's it's good. It's He's only been, when it starts, he's only been Spider-Man for like a year, like over the summer. He got bit. The like end of the previous school year, summer's happened and he's been spent a summer of Spider-Man. So you're seeing all these villains come bit by bit. I'm going to add it to all the other things that I've not got around to watching. Yeah. <laughs> In 2012, we got Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, I don't mind this one. Uh, there's a lot of Deadpool-esque fourth wall breaking, uh, and it took a while for it to for me to come to grips with the storytelling style because it what? is very kiddie. I completely forgot about that until you just said that there. That's why I stopped. Yeah. Because I remember, and this is Drake Bell voicing Spider-Man. Yeah. And there'd be scenes of action and there'd be a freeze frame. He'd talk to the audience, yeah. say something quippy, 
and then carry on with the action again. Yeah. I didn't like that. Yeah. But his support cast is uh, Iron Fist, White Tiger, and I want to say Power Man. Yeah, Power Man. He actually, it's Luke Cage, and he actually goes by Power Man, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? With that, I've watched more than I remembered. Yeah, I've seen quite a few episodes of Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah, because as it gets a bit further in and it gets more competent and it relies less on the fourth wall breaks for the jokes and stuff. Uh, I mean, this one also has the Spider-Verse crossover when they have Miles show up and it's voiced by Donald Glover. That's right, but that was before the movie Mm -hmm. Into the Spider-Verse, wasn't it? Yeah, that was from the comic book crossover. Why could Gwen Stacy not just be referred to in a show by the... or in the comics as well, referred to as Spider-Woman... But we know her as Spider-Gwen. Why have they introduced Ghost Spider? I hate that. This one, uh, I think it's a way, because she's going to be moving to the main universe. He already is a Spider-Woman, Jessica Drew. Oh, okay. There you so go. you can't have you, two of them. You told me. <laughs> Just call her Spider-Gwen then. Because as a name, I guess they didn't expect her to take on as much as she has. Like yeah. she, That character is a hit. So like Spider-Gwen. Yeah, and the ghost spider is because of the the way her costume looks. It was the I guess the brainstorming session that was yeah. the, the the least offensive they came up with. I think they needed to take one more pass on the name, maybe. Yeah. And that that's the current one, isn't it? Or have they finished that? That's one? That's the one that just launched. We've just had the first issue. Because oh no! Was, so the that animated series. Spy, oh, the, the animated series. Yes, uh, the Ultimate Spider Man. They are. Have they, just, have they launched one from Disney XD? D23 have announced a pre like a preschool Spider-Man animated series, Spidey and his amazing friends. Okay. And that is Spider-Man, Miles and Gwen. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. But when I say preschool, they're probably age at the age they're aiming for. Yeah, that's the seven. viewership, yeah. yeah. Not for us then, no, but hey, no. more Spider-Man. So maybe the... 2017 one is still going then. It's did about it two seasons. Yeah, I've not watched it, so I don't know of the quality. So that's what's come before. Now let's get stuck into Spider-Man 1994. The series focuses on Spider-Man and his alter ego, Peter Parker, during his college years at Empire State University. As the story begins, Peter has already gained his superpowers and is a part-time freelance photographer for the Daily Bugle, The show features most of Spider-Man's classic villains, including the Kingpin, Green Goblin, the Lizard, Shocker, Doctor Octopus, Mysterio, the Scorpion, Rhino, the Vulture, Venom, all of them. Yep. And there's many more. The show also features appearances from various other Marvel superheroes, including the X-Men, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, War Machine, Daredevil, Blade, Doctor Strange, the Punisher, and Captain America. Yeah. This series is chock full of Marvel characters, and I love the fact that straight away it is a lived-in Marvel universe. Yeah, and this is something uh, they, especially during the nineties, because they used to try with the X Men cartoon of the same era. They used to stick mainly to X Men cameos, like super obscure stuff. Like there's a few Deadpool cameos, not by name but by image, in the original nineties X Men show, but. They really did try to fit as many cameos and references to their own stuff as possible. Because the point of this, one, was to sell action figures they launched at the time. But two, if you like this, this is the stuff directly out of the comics. 
what I found interesting though when doing research for this is that so all those characters I've just listed, they were allowed to appear in Spider-Man. All those other Marvel shows that came out in the 90s, initially Spider-Man wasn't allowed to appear. And I think the only time he does appear, there's an X-Men episode. It's just his hair. And it's just his hand. That is it. That is his only appearance in X-Men. Yeah. But if you want it's to see the all Phoenix the Marvel saga. characters, yes, that's right. But if you want to see all the X Men characters, just watch Spider Man. Yeah. Or all the Marvel characters, should I say, because they're all in here. Last night, because I thought oh, I've got time to get some extra episodes in, I watched the Enter the Punisher episode oh. from season two, and I forgot that he wore like a turquoise outfit <laughs> instead of black that he has in the comics yeah. or grey, and he's got that weird bandana. <laughs> like... He's got the bandana. It was the nineties. And he's got basically an Iron Man arsenal in a van. That's it. Battle van. <laughs> he's like calling it into action. Yeah. Yeah. And then the things that he's getting battle van to do, I found you could just achieve that yourself by sitting in it. It's not doing anything extraordinary, yeah. really. But it was the 90s. A name that I do see pop up online a lot, Facebook. There's a, there's a page run by John Semper Jr. Mm-hmm. And he was the producer and story editor across all five seasons. And he's very active on social media. All right. So I'd seen him a lot over the years and I've followed his page and he's always posting things related to this animated series. So then doing the rewatch, it was nice seeing his name up there. Yeah. So he was very instrumental in everything that you're seeing across these five seasons. We'll start with Peter Parker, Spider-Man, voiced by Christopher Daniel Barnes who you may know as Greg Brady from the Brady Bunch movie. Or you may know as Prince Eric from The Little Mermaid. Yes, and I, I did, did not look. know that until doing research for this. Same here. Because I knew nothing of this guy other than this animated series. And all these years, whenever I read a Spider-Man comic, it's his voice that I heard. And I almost liked not knowing who he was because it was just the voice of Spider-Man. Yeah, I, I might say that is the voice I hear in my head when I read. And he's great in this. Like, he really is. And then it does get cheesy at times when he's sort of like he's screaming and he's distressed and yeah. he gets a bit too, I don't know, cartoonish. Yeah, um, very melodramatic. But also he does all of the heavy lifting on this show. I mean, as I was watching through, I think when... Unless it's focused purely on the villains, he's talking the whole time. It really is. like He's talking you through what's happening a lot. Yeah, he is earning his paycheck. And again, I cannot fault him. Like, I mean, it does go big at times, but sure, why not? It, it fits the scene. Yeah. Now, you watching all the episodes, you probably noticed the wardrobe change from season one to season two. Yes, he went from the... The polo shirt that was green, white, and blue horizontal stripes to the classic as I remember it, the red t-shirt underneath a dark blue jacket slash t-shirt. I mean, you are very, very close. I'm only going to correct you because I've got it written down, but you're extremely close. So when, from season two onwards, when he gets his, they try to make him look older and they give him a pastel pink (laughs) t-shirt. Uh, white sport shoes and he's got a grey jacket. Yeah. 
That was the reason. Yeah, he always had the, the sleeves rolled up on. And it's that thing, like, when you watch The Simpsons or Family Guy, if the characters go to the wardrobe, they have that same outfit hanging up. Yeah. And that was the same for <laughs> not just Spider-Man or Peter Parker, all of them. Yeah. They like, always whenever are, characters appear, Mary they wear the same Mary always thing. in the same yellow top with purple pants. And it works. Yeah. It, it really does work. Now, J. Jonah Jameson, voiced by Edward Asner. Yeah. Incredible. He is so good. I mean... I have to give it to uh, J.K. Simmons. He is a phenomenal live-action and animated voice for J.J. and Jameson, but I grew up with Edward Asner. Yeah, and I, just like you, watching J.K. more recently in the movies, and it's like, wow, yeah, you know, with the Raimi movies, don't want to spoil Far From Home. I guess I just did. But uh, <laughs> but with J.K., it's all like, oh, yeah, that's how J.J. sounds. That's how he should always sound. And then when you go back and you watch this animated series, you're like, oh, no, that, that's how he sounds. He's, yeah, because he's, he's still angry and he's all, Barker! But, but there's, a, there's, soft, a, there's a softness. Yeah. And there's also an age to his voice because he's an older man. So and he's, you know, I mean, when you see him uh, flashback, there's flashbacks to things like the 40s and the 50s. And, and it just, it, it fits, like... He's great in this. He he really is. And it's like, if you went back to watch this and think, oh, if one day they were going to do a live action version, what would they do? You would want what JK is doing because he is this cartoon character come to life. Yeah, yeah. Um, Edward Asner, you may know as Carl Fredrickson from Up. He is Oscar winner. Oh, so he's the old man. Yeah. Ah, that's, uh, uh, that's Still really working cool. today. He's still alive, still doing a ton of voice work. That's good to hear. Felicia Hardy, Black Cat. The creative team decided not to use Gwen Stacy in the series because they did not want to use a character that had been dead in the comics for over 20 years. Understandable. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Because of this decision, many of the stories were changed to the events happening to Felicia Hardy or Mary Jane Watson. Yeah, and they, which explains a lot of the other changes they make to her backstory. But Jennifer Hale voices... Uh, Felicia Hardy slash Black Hat. She is the voice of female Shepherd in the Mass Effect games, of which I've played so so many hours. Never played it, um, but she is she's great. I mean, there's a lot of uh, emotion to her voice. There's a lot of screaming, and then when she's Black Cat, there's a lot of edge. She does go deeper when she when she's playing Black Cat, but she does a really great job. Sarah Ballantyne voices Mary Jane Watson. Yep. Face it, Tiger. You hit the jackpot. Yeah, and... Works every time. <laughs> I love it. And she uh, she goes through the ringer over the course of this cartoon. Does she? <laughs> I mean, I know later on we're going to get to uh, arcs and episodes, but yeah, she does. To the point where there's no real resolution. <laughs> No, no, there's not. <laughs> so, yes, she goes through some shit. <laughs> and she never quite comes out the other end. Maybe if we did get another season, we'd have had some resolution, but it, we certainly don't get it in season five. The annoying part is, when we get to it, but they knew that they weren't getting another season when they were writing that episode. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love the show, but come on, guys. Uh, the design, they they used the, the look that Todd McFarlane... Brought to the comics. Yeah. So modernised, uh, made more contemporary. 
and, and it definitely works for the show. It's dated now, but for then, and even going back and looking at that design, I love it. Yeah. But you just wouldn't get it in an animated series today. No, especially like Black Cat, you'd have to tone down. Um, and in their, their civilian personas as well, the girls are covered sort of from neck to wrist to knee. I won't say to ankle because it's not quite that bad, but I think they would uh, they'd break up the the style of their clothing a bit more or maybe something more casual like jeans yeah but then maybe they're harder to animate i don't know stitching would they include that or would they just tell you i think that'd just be like yeah just be like pants just give her purple pants (laughs) yeah (laughs) roscoe lee brown voiced wilson fisk kingpin he's great he's kingpin he is like that voice that i love it yeah there's so much bass uh He's got such a commanding presence. And there's a little cat quality to it where he sort of, he kind of purrs when he's, he purrs. <laughs> when he's talking about like his power and how clever he is and how he's moved his chess pieces around. That's my favorite Kingpin. Yeah. When he's doing that. Yeah. Wesley. <laughs> and he's yeah. going to tell Wesley about how great he is. Because of how much I love the relationship between Kingpin and Wesley in this show, I was disappointed in the Netflix version when he yeah. did have a Wesley, but it just wasn't quite this. Yeah, yeah. And um, he has a, a son in the cartoon, which doesn't go particularly well for them. Uh, and he's, he's barking of like, Smythe! No, actually, I'm thinking of Smythe, not Wesley. Oh. Or is that the same character? Different character? Different character. Smythe. Smythe is he the robot the guy. Yeah, he goes. Right, he the goes with the ringer as well. Like, because you know, you watched every episode, and I've seen them all before. But then we like jumped a couple. Ah, oh, he's like in a chair thing, and he's got guns coming out of his shoulders. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, something happened. <laughs> yeah, I missed something there. Uh, speaking of Smythe, I don't think I got who the voice actor is. Even though he was in, like, a ton of episodes. He was in a lot, yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't know his name either. Mary Jane, though. No, we talked about Mary Jane. Aunt May. Yes. Yeah, she works. Yeah. She's a good Aunt May. She's very she's very old. And it's yeah. had, since 94, with Aunt May age-wise, they've just been going backwards. Yeah. You know, we've currently got Melissa Tomei. I yeah, don't know how young they're going to go next time, but... Yeah, because Melissa Tomei herself is... In her, when they when they cast her, I think she was already in her fifties. Really? Oh, she looks great. Yeah, she and that's the thing really is, good. you know, she's in her fifties with Peter being, you know, like sixteen. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But having like a seventy year old with a sixteen year old nephew, like, that's grandmother territory. And she does sound really old in this. There's two actors credited. First, we had Linda Gary, and Julie Bennett. Okay. So two people voiced her across the five seasons, but she always sounded old. Yeah. And you you just got the impression that if something bad was to happen to Peter, she would just die. Yeah. She would not be able to cope with the stress. Yeah. Yeah, she'd be she'd be gone quick. I think within time, Tomei could move on. I think yeah. she'd be okay. <laughs> but this Aunt May, no chance. Yeah. And that was always the thing with the early comics because it was more common in the 60s for someone to have an aunt who wasn't like an actual sister of their mother, but there was 
like a, a great aunt, and that was kind of where they had it, and it always gave them a, uh, a reason for Peter to be stressed because she was always sick with something because she was incredibly old. <laughs> always incredibly old. There was that episode, I think one of the later seasons, where I think who was... I think it was to do with the Sinister Six, and they'd gone back to Peter's house. Oh, that's right, and it was Chameleon posing as Aunt May. And then to freak Peter out when he arrived at his house, went all like old lady monster and you know yeah. the episode? Yeah. That was a great Aunt May design. Yeah. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't consistently use it, but for that moment, I thought it was really cool. Yeah. She always just looked so old and still. Yeah. And then in that moment, she was a monster. That was yeah. cool. They did one great thing as well, a little nod to the comics, when they're having to take Aunt May hostage. Well, they've got her... They're no Peter, no Spider-Man, so they're having him held hostage, and they've taken him to a fake hospital in one of the episodes, and Doc Ock's sitting with Aunt May. That's right. And everyone's like, I think he's sweet in the old bird. That's because <laughs> in the comics, they almost got married. You know, in that scene, Fisk literally has a line referring to the fact that they had that facility set up for henchmen or whatever that would get injured in the field. Yeah. So it's like, oh, it was very convenient that we had this set up already. Yeah. So we could double up as the hospital. Yeah. Very clever. <laughs> very, very clever and convenient. Yep. We've got three goblins. We've got Harry Osborne. No, we've got Norman Osborne, the first Green Goblin. Yep. We've got Harry Osborne as the second Green Goblin. If you were going to ask somebody to draw their hair, how would you go about describing that? Because... It's like Brillo pads. Like, what is that? I know it's from the comics and they animate it very well. Yeah, because it's supposed to be tight curls, which they replicated pretty well. Is that well. what it's supposed to be? But in the 60s, when you used to uh, Brill cream your hair, when you had curly hair, that's how the light would catch right. the waves. So that's what they're doing. I've yeah. literally never known. Yeah. Like, uh, and what that's is why that when you see James Franco in the Sam Raimi movies, the way his hair's curly and wild right. that's as close as i've seen it done in live action because honestly outside of this animated series or you know these characters in the comics yeah i've never seen that hairstyle before ever yeah and it's it's the took, only yeah, place. it took me a long time as a kid to figure out what was going on i'm like why do they just have different color stripes through their hair i didn't intend to just go straight to their hair let's talk about them being i don't know super villains <laughs> these are the big the big bad guys yeah um Norman Osborn, voiced by Neil Ross. Uh, I don't know who voiced Harry. It was Gary Imhoff. Uh, and Hobgoblin, of course. The I third mean, goblin. But the first that we're introduced yes. to in the show, Mark Hamill. Yeah, and I never picked up on it as a kid. Neither did I, but it's as if, okay, so in casting, okay, Mark, you know when you voice the Joker, do that. Yeah. But just tone <laughs> it down that. a little bit. Yeah, but there's times when he'll go yeah, manic. He's yeah. going, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hamill's gone full Joker. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah, I love I, it. I don't know how I didn't notice as a kid. It's so crazy. Watching yeah, no, it back, I didn't it's so dogs. super obvious. It, it is now watching it. And, I'm, and there's reasons why, you know, I mentioned James Cameron earlier, that we get Hobgoblin first. With Mark Hamill voicing the character... I'm completely okay with it. Yeah. Because ordinarily you'd be like, oh, well, no, because he's like, he's the pretender. He's the fake goblin. Yeah. But with Hamill, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm completely on board. Yeah. Um, other villains that show up a lot, Shocker, played by Jim Cummings. 
There's Who? an episode where oh, what, when the Sinister Six yeah. first get together. Insidious Six, as they call right, them. Right, the that's right. But they get together, and he's the only character that's already got his costume on. Yeah. I think he's, he's in bed. Yeah. And he's got his costume on. Yeah, like and he stays every, in that thing. And everyone else has to put their costume on. Yeah. I just thought, that's weird. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if they ever realise that in the comics there is a there is references to how he looks out of costume, um, but he wears this crazy quilted thing with the V. It look it it looks fine, and I've grown up with it, so I'm familiar with it. But if you were to introduce that to me today, I'd be like, "What's going on?" Well, yeah, it's like quilted. Yeah, it's but it's it's the shocker. Yeah. <laughs> you, just, you just go with it. Great interpretation of the rhino. He works really well in yeah. this. He's a mountain of a man. Yeah. Uh, Chocker, Jim Cummings, voiced Winnie the Pooh and Tigger to this day and has done for the last 30 years. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. Including the most recent movies from a couple of years ago. That is amazing. Yeah. So Winnie the Pooh, the actor, gets a tap on the shoulder. We're going to catch you as a supervillain in a Marvel series. Yeah. Who? Green Goblin? Nope. Shocker. <laughs> Who's that? Well. <laughs> yeah. He's great. Don't worry. He also voiced... Hondu on uh, Star Wars, Clone Wars, oh, and really? Star Wars Rebels. He's doing okay. Yeah, yeah, very busy uh, voice actor. But yeah, yeah, um, Rhino, really good job with him. Um, very, very Jersey sounding. And the Vulture, like my knowledge of Vulture came from this animated series. Yeah. Nowhere else. So it was the old man, Adrian Toomes. And then he absorbs youth, youth and then he's he's the young guy. Yeah, which is wings. why he's a vulture. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. And I always liked the the design. You know, a lot of the designs in this show, somebody's looked at the comics and just gone, "We'll do that." Yeah, I mean, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, they yeah they're very. The only change was absolutely necessary, um, and of course, the other villain that pops up and is. For a while, Eddie Brock slash Venom, played by Hank Azaria, which again, listening back as an adult, super obvious. He's an E, a poo. <laughs> the Simpsons. Wow, he's a okay. lot of characters. I mean, he, he is, he does, yeah. And outside of Simpsons, he's he's always busy. Yeah, but hearing his like Bronx voice, like Hank Azaria, I'm like, oh, I've seen him live action in so many other things as well. It's super obvious who it is. But it works uh, as Eddie Brock. And when they're Venom, of course, there's some weird sound effect that they put over over his voice to, to alter the tone. But he does a really good job as well. I'm actually surprised he only ever does Eddie Brock because he's known for doing so much other voice work. And Venom's great in this. Like yeah. The design, the use of the character, it's great. And then we get it in the opening as well. And there's the episode where we see it, where you've got Spider-Man being held up and he's on like puppet strings, but it's yeah. webs. Yeah. Venom. I've always liked that. And then you got the bit where you got the Spider-Man costume and the Venom symbiote pulling at Peter when he's having his nightmare. Yeah. There's so many good visuals in that opening title yeah. sequence. And that was pulled directly out of the comic as well, that sequence. The animation style, what we get here, it's very similar, if not the same, across all the 90s Marvel shows. I yeah. think it's probably the higher end of quality, but the the character design work, like how like faces and bodies, like size, posture, it seems to be across all of them. But if you watch an episode of I don't know, the Iron Man animated series, yeah. you can see it belongs to this. 
but the quality and animation isn't there. Yeah, because that was one of the later ones when they went a bit cheaper. Um, same with the later seasons of the X-Men animated series when that they changed did, studio. Yeah, that did drop. Well, with Spider-Man, uh, the animation was provided by Japan's Tokyo movie Shinza. Yeah, and they they did a great job, especially the movement of Spider-Man is so dynamic, you need to have a, a quality hand behind it because, I mean, when he's leaping out of danger from war to war, swinging between buildings and using the environment as well. You you can't do that on the cheap. But what they do here is they, they mix it up. So we get the the Shinza animation, but then we also get Chrono Studios who operate out of the US and they did all the 3D effects. Yeah. So when he's web swinging, and it really does date the show, I think the animation yeah. looks better when it's 2D, but I get they, they wanted to just create that movement and just to be really fluid of him swinging. Yeah. But when it goes all 3D, it is, it kind of, it takes you out Yeah, it it absolutely does because the the CG is, you know, mid nineties quality on a TV budget. They use it super sparingly and it all, even as a kid, as a kid, I used to be like, oh wow, look how good the special effects are. But as an adult, I'm like, oh my God, go back to the animation. For then though, it was really good. I'm yeah. like, wow, look at what they're doing. I could accept what they were doing here and it, and it, and it really worked at the time. I mean, it, again, it's jarring now, but then it just worked. Yeah. But if you look at shows like, remember the TV series Reboot? Yeah. And it was all CGI. Yeah. That always looked horrendous. And I get it, they're meant to be inside the computer, but looked awful. So at least they just... They only use the 3D when he's web swinging primarily. And they did some backgrounds as well. Yeah, or transition shots. And they, I, I assume they thought that was going to become the norm on cartoons, which they're not actually wrong. CGI is the more common. Occasionally, they've stopped doing it as much now. DC animated movies will use CGI for vehicles. Yeah. They've not done it as much lately, but at one point, they were always switching to CGI chasings and it just didn't work yeah yeah because it's too jarring from what you're already watching i've mentioned the opening title sequence already but what i've not mentioned is the best thing about the opening title (laughs) sequence and it is the music yes aerosmith guitarist joe perry yeah incredible so good it is so good it's like techno it's fast It, it is just fantastic yeah, and the only reason I knew it was Aerosmith is from the episode, the symbiote uh, suit episodes, when he decides, why am I changing back in my Peter Parker clothes? I should go something more up market. Go heavy, heavy metal, and then it goes, Aerosmith, and then you hear the little guitar lick. I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, oh, that's who does the, the theme song. Of course it is. But at the time, he says, I look like that guy from Aerosmith. But he looks like Steve Tyler. Yeah. The singer. Whereas Joe Perry is someone different. Same band. Yeah. Yeah. It was close it enough works. that my, yeah, exactly. my childlike close mind enough. could figure it out. Yeah. But that, that theme and rewatching it for this, I still really, really like it. It is up there. But I think if we're looking at Marvel 90s TV, X-Men. Yeah. Only just has it beat. Yeah. Only just though. Yeah. I, I know too many friends of mine who have, the X-Men theme for their ringtone. I used to have that for years. <laughs> now I think I might switch to Spider-Man. But it is it is fantastic. And just having that as well. Oh, by the way, we've got Joe Perry yeah. doing, the, doing the main theme. Yeah, why not? But outside of the theme as well, though, just the overall score in the series 
works really well. And I guess because, you know, it, you know, it's a cartoon, early 90s, they're primarily looking at a young audience. And we've grown up with this. We've gone back and still enjoyed it. Yeah. But they're aiming young. So if you see a character, whenever you see that character, you're getting that same thing. So there's a lot of repetition. Yeah. But it just works, though. And I guess it's how you remember a show as well. So when it's Mary Jane Watson, it's like yeah. she, everyone, everyone has their own thing. Yeah, and the having watched all of them so close together in a big marathon, I noticed basically four main themes. You have the 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 him swinging theme, which is the 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 softer spider actual Spider Man theme. Then da, you have da, da, yeah da, da. as yeah as he swings through, and then you have his romantic theme whenever Felicia Hardy. Uh, and him is there, or Mary Jane specifically was the main part of that theme. Um, then you have the the villain monologue theme, which is like a a more dun 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 dun, dun <laughs> as they talk. And then there's the in peril theme that <laughs> that listening back and hearing it so often as you know it's the theme they play right before an ad break as he's in peril. Uh, sounds like the you found an item on uh, Zelda. Ocarina of Time. Dun, 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 dun. I'm really glad you carried on and did the sound effects. <laughs> yeah, uh, but they're all used specifically for their emotional beats and they work. I mean, you know, most people watching these one a week, not 65 within five days. <laughs> wow, that's, that's, I mean, that's a good effort. But again, going back to a young audience, so it's the beats sound the same the characters look the same. So it's really easy because Spider-Man, you could recognize, you know, easy. Yeah. But to, for kids to recognize, where maybe it's a five-year-old, six-year-old, however young, yeah. to recognize Peter Parker and the other characters, it's just easier if they have those basic designs. Yeah. Everyone's wearing the same outfit. Yeah, yeah. And the music hooks you right back in. They also have the tragedy theme, which you get for whenever a character dies or when someone's recounting their, like, backstory or when Spider-Man gelling about Mary Jane. I nearly did that. Mary Jane! <laughs> you know, that's what I was talking about before. The actor going big. Yeah. But uh, you, you go and for And there's it. a music theme that goes exactly with that. This is this uh, crescendo rises at this exact same time. And it like it's supposed to sound like tra- tragedy. And it always hit me every single time. I'm like, I know I've heard this about a thousand times by now. But it still works. Great. I love the music on this show. So I think we've set it up. We can talk episodes and we've both started in the exact same place. Season one, episode one, Night of the Lizard. Yep. Now, for the first season of the show, almost all the intro visuals were taken from Night of the Lizard uh, and Spider Slayers, the first two episodes. It's not until season two that you get all of the visuals that become the main intro for the rest of the show. Right, got you. Yep. They're the, the snippets they take. But a phenomenal first episode. I mean, it is introduction of the lizard. You're like, okay, so Peter's working. He goes to ESU, spending a lot of time in the labs. And they have to introduce a lot of these things because they come up all the time. What is neogenics? It's the, the new science of the study of technology and genetics using radiation the uh, neogenic recombinator, which comes up 
all the time. It's the, the yeah. device on the show. The reason behind that, though, is they weren't allowed to use the word radioactive. Oh. That's why they came up with that. So you don't hear that it was bit by a radioactive spider. Yeah. Because being radioactive was perceived as being a bad thing. Yeah. So they didn't want their hero <laughs> to be referred to as being radioactive. That makes sense. This was... But you're I right, did... though. They did go on and on about it a yeah. lot. Um, and also, by the 90s, they knew that if you got bitten by a radioactive spider, you weren't going to get superpowers. You are likely going to get cancer. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, it's not going to end well for yeah. you. I mean, 94, this was only seven years removed from Chernobyl. So... They, everyone was very aware oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's of radiation. Close. In fact, I bring that up because with the episode when they introduced the scorpion uh, and he goes to the power plant, because I've just watched the Chernobyl series on HBO, he hits a button and lifts the, the, the control rods out of the reactor. And when they explain the nuclear reaction... And what's going wrong, it is exactly as they explain it on Chernobyl. Oh, it is no scientifically way. perfect. <laughs> oh, wow. Because, of course, in the 90s, uh, X-Men cartoon, they used Beast. You had to have an educational element. So whenever Beast would proclaim something, uh, usually referencing something famous, that dealt with their education portion of what they had to deliver for episode. With Spider-Man, you didn't need that. Because he's a science nerd and he's delivering that kind of information all the time. And he never shuts up, as you nah. said earlier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with Nine of the Lizard, you get an introduction to a lot of the side characters. Kurt Connors, who comes up a lot and seems to be the solve everything for whenever someone's got a mutation. Uh, and his lab gets trashed so many times. But it's... A great episode. It's it's exactly as you want to start, and you have to. You can't start with the main villain in your first episode. You want to build up your bigger episodes because the first season is the introduction of all the villains. And the episode is episode. a is a good character to start with. He is sure, yeah. And the theme of Spider Man is generally sp- science gone awry. Um, but yeah, that's episode one. Is the lizard episode two introduced to robots? Um. You're going to get a lot of robots in yes, this cartoon. Yes, a lot of robots because Spider-Man cannot be seen to be fighting people. And a lot of, he, when he is fighting, a lot of it is, is like deflecting or it's self-defense. He will very rarely throw a punch. Yeah. In fact, when you watch this cartoon, you may notice he almost never throws a punch or kick because he wasn't allowed to. Yes. It was always <laughs> a webbing of something, like uh, webbing them up or throwing them or avoiding them and letting them hurt themselves. I mean, you've Never got to attack. kind of praise the, the makers of the show because of what they were able to achieve because they're giving us all these characters. I talked about the Punisher earlier. How do you market the Punisher to kids? Yeah. They did it. Yeah. Give him a bandana. Yeah. <laughs> Non-lethal ordinance. <laughs> yes, exactly right. And he's like, next time, I'm going lethal. Yeah, that's well, also... Well, we never see next time, but he can say that he's going to go lethal. But it doesn't actually happen. Yeah. It's also why all the guns on the show are lasers, because they weren't allowed to show bullets. Yeah, um, but you just go with it, and you, you just accept it as being a part of this world. Yeah, you do. You're like, oh, they don't have bullets in this world. They only have laser cannons. But then it's like, 
but wouldn't that also hurt? Yeah. <laughs> what happened to you? Oh, I got my leg blew off by a laser. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not a bullet ricocheting, like just skimming your leg or something. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. It's like, but you see so many people get hit with a laser in these shows and they seem to like wake up like after being semi-unconscious. Like, oh, they're okay. They walked it off. Um, in episode four of season one, you get Doc Ock, which you're going to see a lot because he is tied in a lot with Felicia Hardy and her mother. Yeah, this is a great Doc Ock in this show. Yeah. Um, one thing I will say about all the shows, and this is something, even rewatching it, uh, my housemate came in, watched, and started half watching an episode behind me, and he's like, Holy crap, everyone is built like a bodybuilder in this show. <laughs> Even was, Doc Ock. <laughs> yeah. Doc Ock uh, is not a fat, schlubby guy with a bowl cut. He is rounder, though. and Because you, you can, like, see... Although uh, he looks muscular because of the, the plating in his costume. Yeah. But he's quite a rounder guy. Like, when you see him out of costume, he's not, like, he's not built up. Yeah. Um, but he has big shoulder pads. He does, because he was the 90s. Like, the 80s yeah. had just happened, now yeah, it's yeah, the 90s. Yeah. So, yeah, steroided, muscular superheroes is what everyone was expecting. Um, but even Spider-Man, now they draw him more athletic, and because he's uh, a more... He's a more he's a slighter build, he's younger, he's not the Hulk, but he was drawn like Captain America in terms of build for the 90s show. Yeah, but then later on, we do get Captain America, not to the extent of how Rob Liefeld drew Cap, yeah. but he does have a bigger chest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, he's a bit taller because he's, he's Captain, Captain America. America. Years before Chris Evans, this was Captain America on TV. Yeah. And you weren't going to see him anywhere else. In the comics, no. sure. Like, you, yeah. you pick up an Avengers comic... Well, you're not getting Captain America movies or animated series. But then again, saying that, was it 1990 we did get a live action? Oh, the TV film? I think <laughs> it was theatrical. You've got Ned Beatty is in there. And in the live action Captain America movie, the Red Skull is Italian or something. <laughs> and there's like something to do with a red lizard. <laughs> Why he becomes, I don't it is weird. Yeah. But he is Italian. Um, okay, back to the animated Spider-Man series. We don't have to go through every episode because there's five seasons. Yeah. But if we're looking at arcs, one of the first big ones for me in season one was the alien costume, which was three parts. And you find yeah, as these seasons go on, the parts get bigger and bigger. They do. They do. Um, and this is really well done. It is uh, far closer to the actual way the Venom comes about than what it was in the Venom film because of course the reason it has Spider-Man's powers is because it attached to Spider-Man first. But I was going to say but surely I mean that's the obvious answer well yeah this one's got Spider-Man. Yeah. That's why. Hey but, hey, Venom made a hell of a lot of money we're getting Venom too. Yeah we are. Um, but I always loved the black costume as it's known great um, design the it's slick it's it seems updated like i still love the red and blue costume of spider-man but the clean black lines of the black costume with just a big white spider across the chest and back brilliant and then when it gets onto eddie brock and becomes venom it just exaggerates itself a lot more um and it was Todd McFarlane's way of drawing. Actually, it was Mark Bagley who followed up Todd McFarlane that made it more extreme with the kind of head bump 
where his eyes are and the the mouth open and the big tongue more often. Like initially for Todd McFarlane, it was just the lips would open and there'd be teeth in there, and you'd be like, "That's odd." Yeah, I really like the design that we're getting in the show, and I like the fact that for Venom is because he can produce his own webs, unlike yeah. Spider-Man. But the webs come out of the top of his wrist. Yeah. Or is it the top of his hands? Yeah. But they come out the top. Yeah. And as a designer, I've always liked that. I was going to mention earlier as well with Spider-Man, there's so many moments in this animated series, there's literally nothing for him to web swing from. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> like, he could be out in the suburbs and he's web swinging. Yeah. Spider-Man Homecoming showed us that without the tall buildings... You're not getting around by webs. No, you're doing a lot of running across rooftops but and crashing houses. He manages it every time. Like yeah. he's at home with his Aunt May, jumps out of his bedroom window, jumps up into the air, web swings. Yeah. From what? Yeah. There's a couple of trees. That's it. Yeah. But Venom, great design. We get the three-part episode in the alien costume. Yeah. A favourite. Yeah. And it is, it is completely accurate to the comics of the time as well of... His initial first appearance and everything else. Um, and of course, it the season, well, the next episode, again a two-part, is Hobgoblin, which is just brilliant. As we've said before, Mark Hamill, uh, Norman Osborn has a problem with the Kingpin who's muscling in on his business. And his answer is to hire, to create the weapons and then hire someone to be the Hobgoblin. To get him off his case. Only, he of course double-crosses him because he wants the power. He's It's not about the money, it's about the power. And the Hobgoblin is obsessed with it. Then, all of season two is Neogenic Nightmare. <laughs> and uh, that's when things start to get really interesting. Um, some of the episodes are better than others. Uh, I like... The first two episodes, which are the introduction of the Insidious Six, who over the course of season one was all captured in prison, and the start of season two, Kingpin breaks them all out and puts That's them into a team. Where the shocker is in bed wearing his costume. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, that is extremely cheesy how they do it. And I loved every moment of it. <laughs> it is so cheesy, like he's talking through putting the team together. Yeah. Brilliant. Um Episode three is important because you get Hydro Man, but the episode itself is um, unremarkable. It's it only comes back back up later, but the next episodes four and five, Mutant Agenda, was that's the X Men crossover. Great episode. It is. You've got Spider Man, Wolverine, Button Heads. They brought the voice cast over from the X Men animated series. Yeah, yeah, because the. Uh, Neogenic Nightmare, the whole problem with the season is the Spider-Man's genes are further mutating. Uh, it's causing him pain. His powers become unreliable. And without treatment, he may turn into something unhuman, uh, inhuman. So he, not the characters, something like actually not human. Uh, and he goes to the X-Men because the authority on mutation is Dr. Charles Xavier. And that's how he comes across them. And he... Great sequence, you get all of them, Gambit, Storm, Cyclops. It's a great crossover. And again, like with that through line of the season already, it makes sense. Yeah. It's not like, quick, we need to get the X-Men in here. It actually makes sense in the story. Yeah, and it's through this story arc you get introduced to a, a, another villain, uh, Herbert Langdon, 
who is the guy who ends up mutating Alistair Smythe from guy in a wheelchair to guy with lasers on his shoulders. I thought I heard his name mentioned when he had the laser shoulders. Yep. Uh, the next episode, episode six, you get the introduction of Morbius. Yes, always liked Morbius in this. I don't know what they're going to do with the movie, but no. this interpretation, that they've just got him walking around looking and sounding like Dracula. Yeah. Always loved it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it just works. <laughs> his slick black hair, his ridiculous jacket. And when he becomes Morbius, like, he doesn't change his wardrobe at all because no. he's already dressed like a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Because he's like Euro trash. Um, he is fiddling around with Spider-Man's blood because... There's a position up for grabs to be Kurt Connors' assistant, and whoever's uh, research is the best wins. Morbius, who's obsessed with being number one, sees Sp- Spider-Man working on something. His own blood, because he's trying to figure out how to cure himself, and he's amazed at the quality of the work because it's actually Spider-Man's blood. It's already mutated. He's like, I need to figure out how Parker did this. He's filling around, gets bit by a vampire bat, becomes a vampire. <laughs> he drains people, though, in this through his hands. Yeah. Because he wasn't allowed to bite people. That's another one of those weird quirks of the cartoon. Right, okay. That's How why they... he doesn't drain people properly. Yeah. And it's of their life force. And, yeah, they don't die. No. They're just a bit poorly. Yeah. <laughs> Get carried off in a stretcher, taken to hospital, and I'm sure they're fine. Yeah. Uh, the next episode is The Punisher. And that's where Spider-Man goes full man-spider. Yeah. He starts off having the... He's got the six arms in this episode. And then he fully mutates into a big spider. He's got yeah. like a big spider. And, yeah, and attacks the Punisher, who's brought it on himself by going after Spider-Man. Uh, this, uh, Craven the Hunter comes in to help him. Because uh, his girlfriend uh, creates a serum that helps temporarily hold off the change. But there's a really interesting line in this. Uh, and he uses it a couple of times. Spider-Man always goes when he's he's having to dog everyone, uh, dodge Mary Jane and Felicia Hardy and Harry because of Spider-Man problems. He says, I feel like a heel. Meaning he feels like a villain for ignoring everyone. That's a wrestling term. Yeah, it is, yeah. Because heel is the villain in wrestling and face is a hero in wrestling. And Spider-Man, of course, was a wrestler. That's right. Well, for, for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> it was very brief. But, but the was, terminology yeah. has stuck with him. And I thought it was funny that the uh, the writers of the cartoon remembered to keep it in there. Never, ever once picked up on that. Yeah. Nice. It's only because I watch so much wrestling now that I know these terms. And Steve Mill is going to be in a wrestling show following uh, Arrow. Yeah, that's cool. Uh... Oh, because Morbius, we get the introduction of Blade in season two for a two-parter. And he comes up surprisingly a lot on this cartoon. A lot of the characters do. Like, we get a lot of reoccurring Marvel characters in this. Yeah, and uh, this one, Malcolm McDowell does the voice of Whistler, Blade's, like, sidekick. And he seems to... It made me laugh because... Anytime he's alone with someone who's not Blade, he's like, let me tell you Blade's origin. <laughs> <laughs> he's got, I mean, he's got a good voice for it. He does. So you've got you've to give him that. This was my first exposure to Blade. Mine and, too. And then we got Wesley Snipes. 
So I was like, oh, it's the guy from the Spider-Man cartoon. Yeah, where's his purple shirt? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's a good point. And why doesn't his motorbike ride up the side of buildings? You know, one of the episodes that jumped out to me, Turning Point, in season three, the Green Goblin finds out Spider-Man's true identity, and that's when he goes after Mary Jane Watson. Yeah, yeah, the it was so good. thing that happened... In this, we're introduced to Madam Web. Yes. Yeah, a massive, massive thing. In fact, the, the the theme for this whole... The whole theme for season two is the neogenic nightmare and uh, mutation coming about and out of control. And it's the, the, the theme for all of it. It's Morbius. It's Spider-Man. It's uh, Blade's serum not working properly. They introduced the Tablet of Time, the Vulture, and how... That goes awry for Silvermane and the Vulture. All of season three is Sins of the Fathers. And it's about shitty things dads did <laughs> that are affecting their kids. And it's destiny, responsibility. It's it's all of that. And this is where, I guess, my interest would have waned about there. Because I liked... I thought Spider-Man was enough as a, just being Spider-Man. Yeah. Great character. But then when you start saying that he was part of... He's a part of a much bigger thing. Like, if you look at the comics and we've got the spider totems. Yeah. So it gets a bit too much in that territory. But as a character, I guess, Madam Web is interesting. We don't really end up finding out too much about her, do we? But she was voiced by Joan Lee, the wife of Stanley. Oh, wow. that's I really... really like that. And when we get to the finale... Stanley is in it. So yeah. it's good that both husband and wife, at some point, although not together, feature in the series. Yeah. And she has a great voice for Madame Web as well. It's that, it's the right combination of uh, old, or wise, I should be more accurate with, but also forceful and authoritative. Like, she has a... She, she, she speaks like she clearly knows what's going to happen because she's like a clairvoyant. Or is she... But then you've got her and then the Beyonder turns up and you've got all this stuff happening. You've got Secret Wars. It was great to see the Marvel characters come together on that. Yeah. And then there was the other episode. Oh, I'm jumping ahead. Season four, do you have uh, yeah, something well, on that? Well, season three actually has one of my favourite episodes of the series. And it's actually directly taken from a single comic book. It was uh, Make-A-Wish, where Spider-Man is going to quit. Because he just had enough of it. But Madam Web, when she first turns up, makes him go to see this girl who sent a letter to Spider-Man. And uh, she, uh, Tyena, through talking with Spider-Man, she's his huge fan. She loves him. He gets amnesia. She helps turn him around. But at the end of the episode, with her love and faith in Spider-Man as a, a person, he actually reveals to her, like, yeah, I'm Peter Parker. And it's really touching and then he leaves her, like, thinking, like, all thanks to the faith of a child. And she's in a, a hospital for chronically ill children. She's going to die. And you're like, that's not right. I Ouch. wasn't prepared for that. No. Yeah. Pulling at the heartstrings. But yeah, uh, for season four, Partners in Danger was the theme of the entire season. Uh, and yeah, that's where Return of the green goblin and he, yeah he uses uh the portal device 
to follow Spider-Man to figure out who Peter Parker, that is Peter Parker. And yeah, the whole threat. He initially goes to Aunt May, which Sam Raimi does in the movies. And he's like, I can't hurt her. She's too peaceful. So yeah, then he goes after Mary Jane. And that's where we get the famous, throw her off the bridge. She vanishes. He's vanished. Where is she? And this is the start of the whole big thing for the season, for the next, for the rest of the show of where the hell is Mary Jane? Well, she comes back, or you think she comes back? Is that in season five? You think That's she comes back? The end of season four. That's the, the Punisher turns up again, uh, to because he's looking for her, and that's when she comes back. Because she comes back, but then you find out that she was a clone. Yes, they introduced the clone stuff. because uh, they get married. That's right. Yeah, she comes back. They're all lovey dovey. They immediately get married. And eventually, they, after a month or so, go on a honeymoon. And then Hydra Man turns up, and she has his powers, and fends him off. And then she dies. Because she was a clone, and the cloning process was imperfect. And this turns into the big thing for Season 5, which is... Basically, just three big, long story arcs. You get the six Forgotten Warriors, then you get... Which was five parts. That was quite... Yeah, it was a massive story arc. Multiple pages for my notes. Then you get Secret Wars, which goes into... Basically, they call it Spider Wars, but the Clone Saga. Yeah, yeah, Spider Wars. So Secret Wars was a favourite when I was younger, getting to yeah. see all those characters come together from the different series. And then Spider Wars, I mean, that episode looks like they're selling toys. Yeah. <laughs> as, as I'm doing the rewatch, I'm like, I had that one, I had that one. <laughs> I definitely had the silver armoured yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man figure. So that one definitely feels like they're selling toys, yeah. which they were doing throughout the whole series. I mean, I had a spider car. Yeah. <laughs> I never once appeared, but I loved it as a toy. Yeah, uh, the funny thing about that is they kind of did Spider-Verse before it was a thing. Yeah, it was 20 years later that we got it in the comics and then as a live-action film. Honestly, they they did and achieved so much on the show and the impact then and the impact now when you're watching the Spider-Wars two-parter and you find out Peter Parker is Spider-Carnage and then Uncle Ben from another reality is talking to him and... And he sacrifices himself. Yeah. He just still like, had such a big impact on me. Yeah. Um, the funny thing about Secret Wars, they have a lot of interesting characters for Spider-Man to go up against, which is uh, their version of the comic book storyline. The bad guys, you have Doc Ock, Doctor Doom, Alistair Smythe, Kurt Connors, the Red Skull, uh, which if those are all, other than Doctor Doom, those are all voice actors from the Spider-Man cartoon. The good guys were Spider-Man, Captain America, Iron Man, the entire Fantastic Four, and Storm. <laughs> Why they have those characters? Those were the voice actors available for when they were recording oh, the episodes. Really? See, as you're reeling them off, I'm like, yep, 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 yep. And then, and Storm. Yeah. <laughs> of all the X-Men. Right, it's because... I mean, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. 
but yeah, it's one of the funny things you you discover when you years later with the internet. You're like, why Storm? They give you an explanation at the time, but out of all of the X Men, why not go for the uh, the most favorite of the cast, which would have been Wolverine or Cyclops or Gambit, but. And Wolverine and Spider-Man, we already saw them have such good dynamic together. Yeah, yeah. It was just availability. I guess Cal Dodd was <laughs> off doing other things. Yeah, crazy. When I was looking at doing the rewatch on this, I only own the first season on DVD. I've not got all of it, so I did have to borrow it from a friend. In the UK, Sweden and Germany... All five seasons were released on DVD in October 2009. Not in the US, not in Australia. So Region 2 only, that's the only way I was able to watch it, which meant when I'm doing the rewatch, not on my big telly, on the little telly in the yeah. bedroom. So yeah. that's, hence, that's why Saturday morning I was in bed <laughs> watching cartoons. But it blows my mind that this series isn't readily available physical media at least if you've got hulu plus or amazon video it's said to be on there all five seasons i'm not sure if that is restricted to the us but it is on there because you do have amazon don't you? i do i never noticed it on there though apparently it's on there after the series wrapped there was talks of a miniseries so they could wrap up the whole mary jane Story well, then. yeah, that's exactly <laughs> why, because somebody thought, oops, <laughs> we've left a big thread hanging here. It was supposed to take place after the series finale in which Spider-Man journeys with Madam Web backwards through time to find the missing Mary Jane Watson. He would have ultimately found her in Victorian England with amnesia, and she would have been hunted by Carnage, who was also trapped in that time period and was impersonating Jack the Ripper. Huh. I mean, so far, I'm like, yep, okay, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm in. Once Spider-Man had stopped Carnage and had left with Madame Web and Mary Jane back to the present, Mary Jane would have regained her memory and ultimately admitted to Spider-Man that she had always known he was Peter Parker, which had been hinted at throughout several episodes. Despite the series' cancellation, the story was finally revealed in script form in 2018. 20 wow. years since the finale. And that script is available on the Spider-Man, the animated series Facebook page. Huh. John Sempler Jr. He's got it posted there. Awesome. So that's what could have happened. So in the show, when Mary Jane finds out that Peter Parker and Spider-Man are one and the same, she was the clone, wasn't she? Yeah. So the actual Mary Jane never found out. But what do you reckon to that? She goes back in time, amnesia, present day. I'm back. Yeah, <laughs> I remember it's everything. so... It's typical of a storyline for a cartoon. It is very odd, though, especially the Victorian England and Carnage happening to be... Jack the Ripper. Yeah. But yeah. I'm really glad when doing research for this that I found that bit of information. So it's a nice capper because we didn't get a conclusion at the end of the five seasons, but we at least know where they were looking to go next. Yeah. So if you're going to rate the series... Out of five? I'll, I'd give it a four. Um, that is a lot of nostalgia talking. And I don't recommend anyone do what I do and marathon through all of it in five days. Because one of the things you do notice is 
not just the formula of episodes, like when they introduce uh, a origin for a character and when the th- when they use which themes, but also recycled footage was something very common I noticed all the time because animation, if you need to have Spider-Man land on a wall, we've animated that before, where it was short on time, reuse that one, and they use certain shots quite a lot, uh, just as they do with establishing shots on any sci-fi show. Um, but I love the, the voice acting, which I still listen in my head when I read a comment today. The the translation of the storylines, uh, Black Cat. This is where I first decided I liked Black Cat as a character. All of it. I just love the series. Initially, I thought my nostalgia high was going to have me riding a five. Talking about it today, a character in particular, I'm going to bring it down to a 4.5. I have so much love for this animated series. But I've got to take away a half a point from Madame Webb. Because, <laughs> again, I get why she's there. She's serving a purpose. But I was enjoying everything up until that point. And then the character of Spider-Man just became bigger than, for me, it needed to be. Yeah. Like when we got the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie, the untold story or the untold origin. Yeah. And just like in this animated series, you find out his parents were secret agents. Yeah. I think that's a good score. Four and a half out of five. So that's it for our episode all about Spider-Man. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Jay, thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.